Welcome to Aggravating Circumstances, a true crime podcast. I am your host, Laura Saremi. This is episode six of season two, The Trial, part one. This podcast is intended for an adult audience, so please use caution. You got to have someone in there. I don't care if it's a military uh, person, an ex-police officer, or someone in there that has had bodily harm like that. That's the only way for you to know or to get an honest reaction. Because if I was on there, even if it wasn't my brother, if it was not my brother and I was called to end the jury stand to speak on someone who reacted after being stabbed or shot, I will tell them straight up, uh, <laughs> everything you're talking about is not possible. You don't think about none of that. I was shot. I thought about none of that. The only thing I was thinking about is safety. I don't think I like the arguments that he brought up. I think there should have been talk about the fact that they denied a second alternate juror. Because, right. because they had one that was sobbing hysterically because she had a college exam. Which I'm not understanding. Why haven't it been brung? Uh, why haven't it been brung to the light or spoke on about what the judge said? You're not supposed to make that. You're not supposed to speak on that. I'm not understanding how did the judge get away with that. But uh, he's like, this has to get in front of some type of governor's face. Uh, so some higher up people has to see this. Lori, I will sell my business. I will give everything up to see him home. I will give him everything I got. Season two of Aggravating Circumstances is the story of Elisha Baxter. This is a continuing story, so if you're just joining us, I recommend you hit pause, go back and start with episode one of this season. We will wait for you. The Sixth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says, in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. That doesn't specifically say that you have a right to a fair trial, but that would be the premise of these things. So you have a right to an attorney, you have a right to a public and speedy trial, you have a right to have witnesses and confront them, you have a right to compel witnesses to testify on your behalf. This season is about the case of Elisha Baxter. On April 12th of 2016, he was stabbed in the chest by a person that they called D. D stabbed him in the chest with a tactical knife three times and as he turned to run, stabbed him in the arm. D then went after Elisha's friend, who for the purpose of this podcast at this time we're calling Mr. B, and started chasing him. 
Elisha, who was very severely injured, went to his truck, got his gun, and shot. From the time that Dee stabbed Elisha in the chest until Elisha shot him was 10 seconds. There is a video. Amazingly, instead of calling this self-defense, they called it second-degree murder, and Elisha is now serving a 32-year sentence. There were two trials for this case. There was a stand-your-ground hearing. As you know, stand-your-ground was started in Florida, which says that you are not obligated to retreat when you are attacked. You are allowed to defend yourself. The most notorious case would be the Trayvon Martin case where George Zimmerman stalked an unarmed black teenager and killed him and was acquitted. In Elisha's case, that didn't happen. So there was a standard ground hearing, which involved just the judge who decided, and then there was a full trial, which had a jury. If you remember the last couple episodes where I interviewed one of Elisha's older brothers, Mark, he talked about how his family, how he believed that his family had a target on their back and they were targeted by law enforcement, harassed. One of their older brothers, Richard, was even killed by police. And that perspective from Mark gives me a little bit of understanding about what may have been going on as I read through this trial transcript. Also think back to what I talked about Mr. B's testimony and how he was either misunderstood or they acted like they misunderstood him because of the way he spoke. So the testimony that I'm going to read to you is from the Stand Your Ground trial, and this is from the homicide investigator who investigated this crime, and it's a very interesting interaction. When you have witnesses in court, there are quite a few rules about how that goes, and from the American Bar Association, this is on their website, there's a page called Steps in a Trial Direct Examination. It says, lawyers for the plaintiff or the government begin the presentation of evidence by calling witnesses. The questions they ask of the witnesses are direct examination. Direct examination may elicit both direct and circumstantial evidence. Witnesses may testify to matters of fact and in some instances provide opinions. They also may be called to identify documents, pictures, or other items introduced as evidence. Generally, witnesses cannot state opinions or give conclusions unless they are experts or are especially qualified to do so. Witnesses qualified in a particular field as expert witnesses may give their opinion based on the facts and evidence and may give the reason for that opinion. Lawyers generally may not ask leading questions of their witnesses. Leading questions are questions that suggest the answers desired, in effect prompting the witness. An example is, isn't it true that you saw John waiting across the street before his wife came home? Objections may be made by the opposing counsel for many reasons under the rules of evidence, such as to leading questions, questions that call for an opinion or conclusion by a witness, or questions that require an answer based on hearsay. Most courts require a specific legal reason to be given for an objection. Usually, the judge will immediately either sustain or overrule the objection. If the objection is sustained, the lawyer must rephrase the question in a proper form or ask another question. If the objection is overruled and the witness answers the question, the lawyer who raised the question may appeal the judge's ruling after the trial is over. As a handbook for federal jurors points out, a ruling by the judge does not indicate that the judge is taking sides. He or she is merely saying, in effect, the law does 
or else does not permit that question to be asked. Even if the judge decides every objection against a certain party, he or she is not taking sides or indicating to jurors how they should decide the case. One thing that I want to say about that is, well, the judge is there to keep everyone on track and abide by the rules so that you get a, quote, fair trial. When the people that are testifying or asking questions break the rules and ask things that are then objected to, even when they're sustained, the jury still heard it. And there's a huge amount of gaming and showmanship that goes involved with asking things that you know will be objected to and sustained, which means technically it's not allowed, but as long as the jury heard it, they can't unhear things. So I'm going to present the homicide investigations testimony at the Stand Your Ground trial for Elisha Baxter. When I start thinking about how Mr. B's testimony was twisted in ways to make it seem more favorable to the prosecution side, and the targeting by police of Elisha's family, as explained in great detail in our last couple episodes by his brother, Mark, and the way this investigator presents himself in court, where he is going out of his way to not quite play by the rules, it really makes me wonder how someone like this gets a fair trial. This is going to be a little tricky because there's four people who are speaking in this situation. So we have the homicide investigator. We have the prosecutor who was female. So I'm going to do a little bit higher voice for her. We have the judge. That's going to be Southern. I don't think the judge was Southern, but Southern's my go-to because I'm from Alabama. So judge is going to be Southern. And then the defense counsel attorney. And I'm going to use a little magic a little editing magic to try to make that voice a little different. So hopefully you can follow along and I won't have to consistently say who's speaking. So I'm going to give this a try. I hope that by this little presentation, you'll get a little bit of an idea about what happened in Elisha's trial. This is from the transcript of the standard ground hearing. This is, starts with the direct examination of the homicide investigator who is presented by the state. So the initial two people speaking will be the state prosecutor who will be this voice and the homicide investigator, which will be this voice. And then there will be other voices. The other two will be the judge who will be a little bit Alabama, and the defense counsel, who will have a little bit of magic to make that voice sound different. So wish me luck. I'm going to play four roles. Here we go. Good afternoon, detective. Good afternoon. Again, can you just introduce yourself for the record? My name is I'm a homicide investigator with the Miami-Dade Police Department. How long have you been with the Miami-Dade Police Department? 20 years. Can you go through your various movements throughout the police department? Sure. I started on Northside District in 1997. I was a uniformed patrol officer. I then became a field training officer. I then went to general investigations for the Northside District. And in 2006, I went to the Homicide Bureau, and I've been there ever since. 
And as a homicide detective, approximately how many cases have you worked on? In total? In total. Well, well over 500. Back on April 12, 2016, you were in homicide at that point? Yes. And did you have occasion to investigate a case that occurred at approximately 12th West Avenue? The parking lot? Yes. And who was the lead detective on that case? Detective John Sable. Did you assist him in his investigation? I did. And did you actually go to the scene and familiarize yourself with all of the areas of importance? Yes. Including where the victim, the deceased body was located? Yes. Where the bar was, etc.? Yes. I did a walkthrough and I'm familiar with the layout of the scene. Okay. Now, sometime later, about two and a half weeks later, were you notified about a person of interest named... And we're going to use Mr. B. This is clearly not his name, but for the purpose of the podcast, we're going to call him Mr. B for this testimony. Were you notified about a person of interest named Mr. B? Yes, I was. And was that on approximately May 3rd, 2016? It was. Did you, in fact, interview this individual? I did. Did he come to the police station? Yes. And he gave a recorded statement? He did. Have you reviewed that statement and the transcript of that statement for preparation for today? I have. Now, on that date, Mr. B stated that he is not this person that everybody calls black, correct? That's correct. And he also went through the entire incident with you, correct? He did. Where he was, where the defendant was, where the victim was? Yes. And he did say that the victim chased him? Objection, judge. Grounds. Grounds, state is leading. Sustained. Sustained as to leading. Did Mr. B say anything about the victim chasing him? He did. But there was a point in time, objection, leading. Okay, I haven't heard it yet. If it suggests an answer, go ahead and ask the question. Was there a point in time where Mr. B said the victim stopped chasing him? Yes. Did he tell you that the victim stopped chasing him on a couple different occasions throughout the interview? He did. In fact, and I quote, did he tell you, I ran in the street, crossed the little strip, ran in the street, he chased me, Boom. The next thing you know, man, he stopped, man. He did. All right. Podcaster here interrupting this. The prosecutor literally just quoted Mr. B when he said, and she's using this to prove that he said that he stopped chasing him. But the quote is, I ran in the street, crossed the little strip, ran in the street. He chased me. Boom, the next thing you know, man, he stopped, man. Okay, I don't know about you, but he literally said he chased me. Boom. If you listen to Mr. B's testimony, and we discussed it in a previous episode, the boom is when Elisha shot him and stopped him from chasing him with the knife that he had just been stabbed in the chest with. So this is so disingenuous to present this as evidence that he stopped chasing him because that's literally not what he said. And she even quotes him accurately that that's not what he said. Okay, back to this testimony. He did. Did he also tell you that he was back in the truck when he heard the gunshots? He did. Did he complete a diagram on that date? Yes, ma'am, he did. And did you watch him create this diagram? I did. And did he explain everything and all the locations in the diagram? He did. Do you need me to repeat any of the prior questions? So we were talking about a diagram. Yes, ma'am. You watched him complete this diagram? I did. I'm looking at states 1F for identification. May I approach the witness, Your Honor? Yes. 
All right, so take a look at States 1F for identification and let me know if you recognize it. I do. And what is it? This is a drawing done by the witness, Mr. B. Is that a fair and accurate representation? It is. At this time, the state would enter what has been previously marked as States 1F into evidence. Defense? The only, I'll object because my basis for objection is the state should have confronted the witness with that diagram, and they did not. And so therefore, at this point, to allow it in when it has not been confronted with the person who allegedly wrote it would be totally improper. You can certainly... He hadn't had an opportunity to confirm while they had him on the stand. You can call him back if you so choose. I think the standard being a fair and accurate depiction of what Mr. B drew for this detective is, I think he's laid the proper foundation, so I'll admit it. I really hope everyone's not giggling hysterically at my Southern judge, but if you are, okay. (laughs) The clerk court says that States Exhibit 1F is marked for identification, now becomes States Exhibit 13. Okay, so look at States 13, pulled up like this. Okay. There are a number of different areas and words that are, so can you go through them one by one? Yes. There's three main points, four, four main points to this diagram. The first one on the left would be where the truck, where the defendant and the witness parked the truck. This is the Silverado truck? Yes, in correlation to the bar, which is at the corner of the strip mall right here. This middle line with a line across is the sidewalk where Mr. B advised that he ran and that the victim ran in the same direction. And the one across on the other side of the paper is the house where the victim was gunned down in the rear of the residence. Objection. Sustained as to phrasing of gunned down. This is the house that you guys later on go in and see that the victim is deceased in the back? Correct. Okay, now he completed all this for you, correct? Yes. And he is the person who told you what all of these different objects are? Correct. I may have labeled something there, but I'm doing it at his direction. Okay, now is this dark line that is here, what did he say that was? That's the point on the sidewalk in front of the strip mall where he stopped, where the witness stops and the victim stops behind him somewhere, but that's the point where he stopped running. So in fact, he told you, Mr. B told you, that not only did the victim stop, but the victim stopped on the sidewalk? Yes. And where did Mr. B go when the victim stopped? He went back to the truck. Because he is no longer in fear or there was nobody chasing him? Objection. Sustained. Did Mr. B go back? Why did Mr. B go back to the truck? Because the victim then went across the street. He was no longer behind him chasing him. Okay. Now, I want to look at States Exhibit 1 to kind of get a better idea of the locations. So again, now looking at this map and remembering the diagram previously, where approximately is Mr. B saying that the victim stopped on the sidewalk? Approximately right here somewhere. Where did Mr. B say that he was when the victim stopped? Somewhere just a little bit before that. Okay. And did Mr. B say anything about a gas station? He was running in the direction of the gas station, which is located over here. And when Mr. B said that the victim stopped and he went back to the truck... Where does he mean? Somewhere over here in this part of the shopping center. No further questions. Thank you. Cross-examination. And so this is Elisha's attorney. Yes, good afternoon, detective. Good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. When you interviewed Mr. B, he indicated to you that he ran because he thought his life was in danger too, right? I don't remember him saying those words. He just mentioned to me that he ran. He said he was being chased by the victim with a knife. He said that to you. He did. Okay. So he was running away to avoid being stabbed by the victim. Again, that's not what he told me. He said he ran after he saw the victim stab the defendant. And he said that he told you he, after the victim stabbed Mr. Baxter, then the victim came towards him. And you saw the video where the victim is actually running behind Mr. B, right? 
That's correct. I believe. I didn't ask you what you believe. I asked you what you saw. Well, do you want me to complete the answer accurately or do you want me to say what you want me to say? No, I want you to answer the question. And that is one, he indicated that he was running because the victim was chasing him with a knife after seeing that he had done to Mr. Baxter, correct? May I refer to the statement? Yes, thank you. And specifically, I can help you out. If you go to page 11, line two, three, and four, okay. So he's telling you, he told you that the victim was chasing him with the same knife that he had just stabbed Mr. Baxter with. That's what he says, yes. And he told you that this was self-defense. Didn't he tell you that? Objection calls for legal conclusion and hearsay. Talking about what he said to him, it's overruled, go ahead. He said that to you, right? He perceived this whole case to end up in self-defense, yes. I disagreed with him. I just asked you what he said. I understand. I didn't ask you to give an opinion. Yes, sir. And as a matter of fact, while he's telling you that, he indicated that, listen, meaning he said that the dog, talking about the victim, could have killed that man, and your response was, no doubt. Objection. Hearsay. Speculation. Overruled. Your response to Mr. B was that, yes, no doubt. Absolutely. Other than Mr. B, did you interview anyone? Yes. Who? I've got to refer to my report. And he names a couple of individuals that he also interviewed. You didn't interview anybody that was on the swale that depicted the guys that were there where the actual stabbing took place? No. And Mr. B also told you that when Mr. Baxter was trying to run away, that the victim then stabbed him again in the arm as he was trying to run away. He hit him again, right? Objection. Hearsay. Overruled. Mr. B never told me that the defendant was trying to run away. In fact, he said he stood there. Turn to page 12. Permission to approach? Granted. Turn to page 12, line 8, 9, and 10. Read it to yourself. Isn't it a fact that Mr. B is telling you that Mr. Baxter tried running away and then D, the victim, hit him again in the arm? Yes. But then he also, if you look at page 11, line 20, I'm not. I'm just going one at a time. I'm just asking you a question. I understand, sir. Did he not say to you that Mr. Baxter was trying to run away? The victim then stabbed him again, and this time in the arm. Did he say that to you? Yes or no? On that page, on those lines, yes. He says other things on other pages. I'm I'm not, that's not the way this goes. I ask you a very simple question. Okay. Did he say that, or am I making that up? Did he say that? He did. And Mr. B is telling you that he's what he saw, right? He says a lot of things. I'll make this very easy. Just answer the question. I'm trying to the best I can, sir. So you agree that he did say that to you? He did, on that page. Obviously, it was determined that Mr. B was a witness to the incident and clearly not a perpetrator or principal because he was never arrested. He was listed on the state witness list, and you provided, when I say you, meaning detective, based upon information that was investigated and information that was provided by Mr. B. Is that correct? Which incident are you referring to? The stabbing. That's correct. He was a witness to the stabbing. Correct. And he also told you that after witnessing the victim stab Mr. Baxter, the victim turned to him and said, now you too, right? Something like that. And that's when Mr. B took off running. Yes. I have no other questions. Any redirect? Briefly, Your Honor. Detective, can you finish your thought, your context to the point at which Mr. Baxter left or ran away? 
First, I don't understand the finish your thought. I'll object to that. He doesn't testify as to his thoughts. He will testify to questions asked, but his thoughts are not relevant or, folks, really? It's on page 11. He's already said it. I've already seen it. He says, I can read it because you guys already went over this. He says, don't run. Baxter didn't run, but that was before. And then afterwards, he ran. So in, I've got already got the context. In context, he didn't run and then he did run. So I think it's already clear to me. So I mean, you can go through it if you want, State, but I already have the context. No, Your Honor, that's fine. Were there any witnesses, and I'm including Mr. B in this statement, that actually saw what happened behind the house? No. In fact, Mr. B specifically said he has no idea what happened behind the house numerous times. He stated that once he stopped the running and victim was no longer running after him. In fact, he was running across the street. Objection. I'll object to that. The answer was, did any witness that saw what happened behind the house? That's a yes or no. Okay. He can't give his opinion. Just ask the question again. Go ahead, state. Did you interview any witnesses, including Mr. B, who actually saw what occurred behind the house? No. Mr. B told you he did not see what happened behind the house. Correct. I asked him numerous times, and he always answered that he never witnessed from the moment the victim stopped running after him, and he ran across the street. Objection! That's all right. It's sustained. I've already heard from Mr. B, and he confirmed that point. So, that's fine. No further questions. All right. Thank you, detective. That's it. Yep. Thank you, judge. Thank you. State, who is next? Wow. Wow. I mean, I I just, you know, like, (laughs) like he's answering questions and he's doing everything he can to not answer the questions, to not say yes or no, to, he's basically breaking all the rules. Like he's not supposed to give his opinion. And if you'll notice that every single objection that the defense counsel made was sustained, And every single objection that the state made was overruled, which doesn't mean what the judge thinks, but it does show who is playing by the rules and who isn't. Thank you for listening to Aggravating Circumstances. This is an ongoing story. So if you have anything you would like me to know, please reach out at my email at circpod at gmail.com. That's C-I-R-C-P-O-D at gmail.com. I hope you're enjoying season two. If you haven't listened to season one, please check it out. Season three is already in the works and is coming soon. And boy, that one's crazy. There's a hurricane. There's a homicide. There's weird DNA evidence. There's all kinds of stuff. So season three will be starting soon. So fasten your seatbelts. Meanwhile, everyone stay safe. Don't forget those kids in the backseat and we will see you next time.